Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to this episode of the Mia's Mentorship Podcast. Today, my guest is Stephanie Daniels. She is a qualified nutritional therapist with a merit and certification in intermittent fasting. She is an executive coach trained with barefoot coaching. Her passion lies in assisting busy professionals over 40, especially those dealing with perimenopause, and achieving sustainable personal growth by tapping into their own inner strengths. Having personally navigated a surgical menopause in 2017, Stephanie deeply understands the challenges in optimizing health and hormones. She firmly believes that with the right knowledge and practical application, transformation is not just a possibility, but a reality. So without further ado, please welcome Stephanie. Stephanie. I'm okay, thank you. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm glad to have you on. Good. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> do you want to share with the audience who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'd love to. So obviously from the UK, I am Stephanie Daniels and I am founder of Life Begins at Menopause. How do you get into doing what you do? Um, started in 2020 when I launched Life Begins at Menopause. Actually, it didn't start then. It started three years before then when I had my ovaries removed, which is also called an oophorectomy. And the reason that I had my ovaries removed, if you can keep up with the timeline, I'll be as clear as I can, <laughs> is because I had what's called the BRCA gene, the BRCA gene, which is the one that makes you more prone to getting cancer, breast or ovarian cancer, sort of the BR is for the breast. Mm. And unfortunately, my mum didn't have a good battle with ovarian cancer. She passed away. And after she passed away, I got tested for the gene, which came back as positive. And I decided to have steps to prevent that happening from me. And one of those steps was to get my ovaries out. And when you have your ovaries removed, you smash straight into menopause. The other step is to have a double mastectomy. Mm. So be careful what you wish for, because I'd wish for a tummy tuck and a boob job. And I got one. <laughs> I got one on the NHS here. We have the National Health Service, which we're very blessed to have. So I got my tummy tuck and my boob job for free. But what the tummy tuck meant, what the ovaries being removed meant was that I smashed into this menopause. And when I started to look around, reading up on what menopause was about, it scared me so much. I wanted to reverse time, not have my operation, and really, really made me feel very defeatist about what had happened rather than empowered. And I started to dip my toe into some literature, watch TED Talks, listen to podcasts. And out of all that stuff that I consume, there was one TED Talk that I listened to by a lady in America called Cynthia Thurlow. The TED Talk was on intermittent fasting. I thought, this looks interesting. And at the end of the talk, she's now had about 13 million views on that TED Talk. She said, and this is really good for menopause. And then it goes down. And 
I was pressing enter, like, hold on, come back. And she didn't come back. And I messaged her and I said, listen, I'm in the UK. I've just watched your TED talk. I absolutely love it. You said something about fasting being good for menopause. Please tell me more. I'd love to learn. The next thing I know, I'm here in my home, my my bedroom in North London. And I get a message from Cynthia in California, her PA. And she said, oh, hey, Cynthia wants to set a call up with you. When are you free? We set up the call together. And the next thing I know, I'm on the phone to California from North London and I'm talking to Cynthia. And it was hard not to be starstruck by her because I'd seen her on this stage speaking so articulately about overcoming your challenges through optimizing your diet. Mm -hmm. And she ended up taking me under her wing and mentoring me. She gave me resources to start dipping my toe into to become empowered and educated. And before I knew it, I was reading morning, noon and night on literature and got lost in it. I don't know if you've ever been to a dance party or you've watched a movie or just been in an experience where you've lost all sense of time. And that's what happened when I was reading these books. I was lost and nothing else mattered, not even the kids knocking at my door. Okay, they mattered a little bit, but <laughs> nothing else beyond that. <laughs> I was able to manage my symptoms and beyond manage, I was able to optimize my symptoms. And through doing that, I ended up giving up my 22 year career in media. I ended up retraining at the College of Naturopathic Medicine at King's Cross here in London. And I ended up becoming a trained coach. And now I support women who feel like I did to optimize their symptoms. That's awesome. <laughs> that... <laughs> Thank you for the detail. That was really great. Um, so you said that you noted whenever we were talking before that one of your specialties is giving others strategies for aging with strength and vitality. Can you go into more detail about what that looks like? Yes, I can. So strengthening with aging and vitality, or aging with strength and vitality, even. I right. Yeah. Aging with strength <laughs> and vitality. So if you break down strength and what strength means to you, strength can literally be your physical strength. And with that comes weights and how we carry and lift weights. And then the other part of that is strengthening through internal empowerment. So there's two aspects to that. I'll come back to the vitality. I feel like the vitality is a common theme through this. So let's focus on the strength, the physical and the mental. Okay. So when I was at the depths of despair with menopause, I was what I call a cardio bunny. So I was trying to lose weight by running because that's how I used to do it when I was 20 and it worked. You can't run, you can't outrun a bad diet. You can't outrun or run into a good mindset. So the running wasn't working. I was running and running and it wasn't working. It was getting worse because I was actually spiking my stress hormone, my cortisol. And then I was back at my desk, I was having my three coffees and I was on red. I was like, come on, I'm ready for you. When I realized and educated myself on what strength 
means and the benefit of strength in this life stage, I started to do strength resistance training. Mm -hmm. That's carrying weights, lifting weights. That is putting a good stress on your muscles so that it builds and it strengthens and in turn your bone. So we think of the bone as just this solid two-dimensional piece within us. The bone is so much more than that. The bone remodels itself constantly and it produces bone marrow, produces red blood cells. It has such a high function. By pushing against the bone, by pushing against the muscle, we strengthen it and we strengthen our vitality and our longevity. So that's the physical aspect of that. Mm -hmm. And then you have the mental aspect of strength. When I came up for air after hitting menopause and looked around and realised how bad the narrative was and how I still felt like a 20-year-old, I was 37 at the time, and people were telling me that my hair was going to thin, my skin was going to age, my sex life was going to dwindle. I lost my strength and I lost my vitality, I lost my spark. And that's where I see a lot of women coming into my office in the same way. And it's utterly heartbreaking me. It's so upsetting. When they find the strength within them to realise that this is a second adolescence, that they absolutely can take back control in order to balance their hormones, they find the strength to look within themselves and listen to their body when it's whispering before it needs to shout. Mm-hmm. So how does that carry over into benefiting aging after menopause? Is this what is this uh perimenopause and after menopause or both? Can you go into more depth about that? Yeah. Can we just say that there's no question that is off the table? So if you're you're I presume not menopausal or perimenopausal. No, I'm not. <laughs> no idea about this. So I invite you to just ask any questions that come up because you don't know. So, and I welcome them all and I, you know, they're okay. Um, the journey into perimenopause can last anywhere from seven to 10 years. And then menopause average age is about 51 here in the UK. I think it's similar in the States. Mm-hmm. And what happens as we hit perimenopause is, well, let's start before. Before perimenopause, we have a wonderful band of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And they're all working in harmony with each other. As we hit menopause or perimenopause, the estrogen starts to decline and our hormones slightly disarray. They go up and down, they fluctuate, they fluctuate. And as they fluctuate, the roles that they play in our body start having an impact as well. So estrogen is a massive neuroprotector. Progesterone works in balance with estrogen and it calms us down. So suddenly our neuroprotection is gone and we start getting brain fog and our progesterone progesterone is gone and we start getting anxiety. Testosterone starts wobbling and our sex life starts going a little bit down. Now, That is the hormone side of things. And we have hormone replacement therapy for that. 
and I'm not a GP, so I don't discuss hormone replacement therapy. What I do do is open my client's eyes to the fact that there is something called bio-identical HRT. And that is the HRT made from plants, not the synthetic HRT, which had a bad rap and a bad study to it. But the bio-identical one is a plant-based one and our bodies recognize it so much more than the synthetic one. So you're asking about how does this life stage affect what was the last bit? I want to make sure I answer your question, Mia. Do you remember? Yes. Um, I believe it was an aspect to the strength and vitality. How is that specific to menopause? Like, how is it different, I guess, with menopause versus before perimenopause? How does that change? Yes, brilliant. Thank you. Just making sure I'm touching base. So you understand now basically the fluctuation within these hormones and the fact that these hormones have a role to play. So if they're not optimized, the roles that they play are gonna be not optimized. Once we realize that, we need to take a look at our lifestyle and what we're doing. And we need to make some changes. And there's no easy way of saying that. There needs to be some changes. So what will happen is a client will come to me and she'll say to me, I need magnesium. Apparently magnesium is going to help. Or I need testosterone. My friend takes testosterone and it's really helped her. And I question that client and I say, if testosterone could do anything in the world, what would it do for you? What would you want it to do? And suddenly they start thinking on a more individual basis, on a more tailored approach. They say, oh, it would sort my sleep out. It would help my stress. It would help my bloating. And then I break it down and I say, okay, your sleep. Tell me what you're doing just before bed. And they're having a glass of wine and they're on their computer. So the blue light is coming out of their phone mm-hmm. and the glass of wine, which is really full of sugar, is being metabolized rather than helping them sleep. Then we look at their stress and we realize that they've got a really bad toxic relationship with their mom or their dad or their partner. And we look at that and we unpack that and we start getting underneath the stress of that and how that's impacting their everyday. And then we look at the bloating and we realize that they're having wheat and dairy and they're intolerant to these foods. Mm -hmm. Suddenly this testosterone that their friend loves is just a plaster to what's really going on. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned, can you talk more about the HRT? So I, I haven't really done too much research on HRT. I am against birth control, like adding, yeah, those synthetic hormones, like you mentioned, but I haven't done too much research on, on HRT. What is, what did you bio something? What is it that you said? Can you talk more on that? Yeah, it's bioidentical. So it's identical to the biology of your body. But I can't go any further. It would be remiss of me to start talking about HRT when I'm not a trained, what we call in the UK, GP. Right. Practitioner, doctor, basically. So at this point, when I speak about HRT, I refer them to their doctor because their doctor will be able to help them make an informed decision. I just open their eyes to the fact that there is this bio for biology identical so your body is agreeing and 
uh, matched with it, so bioidentical hormone, and I let them go off and do what they want to do. I just look at the sleep, the relationships, the mindset, the food, the supplements. Right. Okay, yeah. You know, I love that you're not into birth control. Can I know this is about life begins at menopause or me, but I want to, can you tell me what, how you got to that? You know, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So I got on birth control when I was 16 and I didn't, didn't really, uh, I didn't think that affected me very much until I got off of it. So I read a book. Um, I think it was in the flow. I for I think Alyssa or something. I honestly, it was a while ago when I read it, but I read that book and she was talking about how birth control is actually really bad for you. And she went to the depths of the anatomical aspect of it, how it can cause so many issues and whatnot, and how whenever you're on your period, it's not even a real period and, and all this stuff. And so it convinced me to get off of it. And so I got off of it. And the one I was on was also helping my acne. And so I was kind of hesitant to get off of it because I was like, well, I don't want my acne to come. My my face was so smooth, like a baby's butt. It was amazing. And so I didn't want to get off of it. And but I did. I got off of it. (laughs) I know. And I got off of it. And I didn't have a period for five months after that. And my acne did come back. It came right back. But I also, so those were the negative aspects of getting off of it. But what, instead of just getting back off on it, I, I, I didn't, I was just, you know, I was having healthy habits and doing natural things for my acne. And I knew it would be a process. It wouldn't be as quick as the birth control did it, but it would be a process of getting rid of the acne. And I wish I'd been told when I was 16, like, Hey, your acne isn't going to last forever. You're going through puberty right now. Like it's not a big deal. I wish I'd been told that Mm -hmm. because I think that would have encouraged me to not get on birth control and just live it out until my acne got better, but they didn't do that. But anyways, so I got off of it. The things I started noticing is that I be, I, started becoming my old self again. And I didn't realize that I wasn't my old self. Mm -hmm. So a few things I noticed is I've always been a really happy kid growing up. I was super joyful, always smiling. I really didn't cry much. I, I wasn't a very emotional kid in that sense to where I would cry or get upset or things like that. But whenever I was on the birth control, I wasn't smiling as much. I didn't feel as happy. I was still happy. I wasn't depressed or anything like that, but I wasn't as smiley, as happy, as goofy as I was before I got on birth control. And I, whenever I was on birth control, I would get way, like I would get upset a lot easier. I would get sad and cry. And I feel like I would overreact emotionally a lot of the times, but whenever I got off birth control, after about six months, I'd say, I started feeling like my old self. And that's when I realized, wait, I haven't been my old self. And that was a really big aspect of it. And as you can see, like my acne went away over, over time. I took care of that. And yeah, after five months, and what's crazy is after five months of not having a period, I, I was just, 
I was like, okay, maybe I should go to the gynecologist and see what they can recommend. Cause I was, I was taking iron to help with that. And I was doing different things. I was eating more meats and I was also looking at, okay, maybe I'm not getting on my period because I exercise a lot. And I've known people in the past where when they exercise a lot, they have really light periods or they'll go times with skipping a period and things like that. So I was just kind of waiting now, but after the five month mark, I went to the gynecologist and I was like, Hey, like, this is, you know, what happened. She didn't know I'd gone on birth control. But I told her I did. And she said, I think we need to put you back on birth control. And I said, no, like I, I got off of it for a reason. I don't want to get back on. And she said, well, we can just do a little bit like to where it's just a little bit of estrogen. And I said, no, I don't want that. I want a natural way to get my period back. Like give me some tips naturally. And she said, well, all I can do is prescribe you birth control like that. That's that's all I can do. She said, I can't do anything else. And so I left and I didn't get on birth control. And a week later, I started my period. And and that was an answered prayer because I had actually asked like before my gynecologist appointment, I had asked two of my really good friends. I told them about it. I hadn't told anyone about it. I told them about it and I was like, can you like, please pray for me that I would just get my regular period back because I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's from getting off birth control, if it's from me working out or me not getting enough iron or blah, blah, blah. And so then I got, I got my period back a week later and yeah, it was an answered prayer and it's been regular since then. And actually before birth control, my period wasn't ever regular. It was always irregular, but since then it's been, I think- a year and a half now or two years now I think I think a year and a half now and it's been regular since then for the first time in my life so yeah that's amazing and the key to that is that you took control back right right and I wanted to look at the natural way of things that's really I think what got me into looking at the natural way of doing things and how what we eat what we do are habits really affects the other aspects of our life whether it's hormones whether it's stress whether it's sleep and all those things so that's I think that's what really got me into it it's those habits and the other thing I want to just take um uh kind of bring awareness to is the fact that you said I know this isn't going to happen as quickly as taking a birth control pill you know we we have this culture where it's a pill for an ill So you have a headache, let's take a pill for that and stop the headache. But the headache is your body talking to you and your body saying, I need something. What that is, I don't know. But by you putting a pill in your body to silence that alert, it's like there being a fire in my house, my smoke alarms going off and me turning the smoke alarms off, taking the batteries out of the smoke alarm. It's not dealing with the fire. Mm-hmm. And I love that about you. I love that you did that. And I am upset that the allopathic world, the doctors, only have a pill for an ill. I think the tide is turning now. I think people and doctors and the wider society are waking up to the fact that you can heal from the inside out. It's not going to be quick, and that's okay. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a slower progress. Like whenever I got on the pill, my acne, I would say it was, it did take a few months for it to get like a baby's butt. 
but yeah. all my like my pimples started disappearing after a week or two of being on the pill whereas yeah. when I got off the pill I would say it, it took about also of me just figuring out like what acne really is and the learning aspect of things and whatnot I would say yeah. it, it took about a year or so maybe a little over a year and because it's only been a few months like my my skin right now it's pretty clear and it has been clear for the past I'd say two to three months before that I always had a few pimples but then and that's another topic but I figured out like what it actually was causing my acne I always thought it was stress or it was the food I was eating and those can make acne worse, but what causes a pimple is excess oil. And so I started using these oil pads. So it's like, no matter how stressed I was or what food I was eating, if I was taking care of the oil on my face, I'm not going to get pimples. And of yeah. course, like during my period week, I'm more prone to get a pimple or two, but in the past few months, it hasn't been more than that. It's my face has been clear for the most part, because I've been using these these oil pads that I use like a couple times a day, whenever I notice my face is starting to get kind of oily. Yeah. And this is the thing. Um, when I spoke about my clients who said, oh, well, my friend's using an oil pad and it's got rid of her acne. So I'm going to use the oil pad. But actually everything is multifactorial. Mm -hmm. And really I'm, what my job is, is to feel around in the dark. So I will have someone in front of me with acne and yes, they can say that their friend down the road is using an oil pad and it's worked for them, but they could have a really bad diet. And I'm going to talk stools here. I'm going to talk poo for a second. <laughs> you spoke about babies, butts. So I'm going to talk about poo. <laughs> Same region. <laughs> We're going through the whole like baby to birth to, you know, menopause. But um, if you're not passing a stool every day, the toxins are going to recirculate in your body. Now, the skin is the second biggest organ. Mm -hmm. And so the toxins are going to try and eliminate out the skin. And that's when you can get acne. That's when you can get spots because the waste is trying to get out in other ways. So you can have that oil pad that your friend's using down the road all you want. But if you're not looking at your diet because you're not getting enough fiber in your diet and enough motion in your stool, you're not going to be eliminating the toxins. So you're going to be fighting in the wrong camp. I went to Camp America. <laughs> I didn't fight. I loved Camp America. <laughs> we call it Camp America here. You call it camp. Um, so you see what I'm saying? There's a different, there's so many variations. It's not just a pill for an ill. It's not just an oil pad for acne. There's yeah. loads of stuff with it. But this is my message. You are like a boat. Not you personally. You definitely don't look like a boat. I liken our lives to being like boats. Mm -hmm. We're on this boat and a boat is not stagnant. It doesn't stay still. It rocks from side to side and it can sway depending on the motion of the sea. If you have anchors in place, keeping you steady and grounded, however bad the waves are and the weather is, your boat will remain solid in its foundation it won't move too much it may rock but it won't move too much and those anchors are things like healthy sleep habits healthy mindset and each of these is a podcast on its own healthy oh, yeah. healthy food healthy lifestyle healthy attitude feeling strong feeling empowered feeling educated and you can have all of those anchors 
it's up to you to just go and get them yeah I agree yeah and yeah even with the acne like you said it's definitely other aspects too like getting stress in your control as much as possible with reducing stress what you're eating and even the the products you use on your face so whenever I was in middle school and high school it was a big thing where it's all these crazy expensive products or you need like 10 products to use like five in the morning, five in the evening, this extensive routine. You need a toner and you need this, you need that, and you need this oil, you need that. And it was just, it, that's not necessary. You need the basics. Like I really like Cetaphil and CeraVe. Like those are inexpensive brands. They're good ingredients. Just yeah. like, just get a face wash. And then I like, I have a I'll use in the morning is face wash and then sunscreen at night. All I do is face wash like that. That's mm -hmm. it. And, and going from like 10 products a day to two products a day has also, I think really improved my skin because of even if you need to look at the ingredients and that's, and it goes for food too. You look at the ingredients because this product, it could just people associate, Oh, if it's a hundred dollars, it's top of the line, which it might be. But look at the back and look at the ingredients in it. I think that's so important yeah. is looking yeah. at what it what it what is it that you're putting on your face and in your skin and in your, exactly. and in your stomach. So you compare the ingredients list of a shop bought guacamole and you compare that to an avocado. Mm -hmm. You see the difference? You've got one ingredient versus probably five to ten ingredients. Yeah. And that's the same with these products. And also within these products are what's called Zeno. Mm -hmm. estrogens. So they're fake estrogens. And we're putting those on our skin and expecting ourselves to flourish. We have an app in the UK. It's called Yucca, Y-U-K-A. I don't know yeah, if you get it. Yeah, I, I have that it's app. Yucca. Yeah, for oh, food and skin products. Yeah. Yes, I don't know. I don't know where it originates from, actually. I thought it I was. I don't know. It might be even, um, I want to say Sweden or somewhere like that, somewhere, somewhere, yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I recommend that app to a lot of people for skin products and food. So for anyone listening who doesn't know, I guess we should just kind yeah. of highlight. Um, and there's no affiliate here, right? Although there should be. Um, so Yucca, you scan a product and it, tell, it rates it from zero to 100. And zero is obviously the worst and 100 is the best and the cleanest. Mm -hmm. And it's rated on how bad it is for you. Yeah. So, and it's spelled Y-U-K-A, just for, for yeah. the audience. Yeah. I'm so glad you've heard of it. Yeah. I call it, I don't pronounce it like you do, though. I pronounce it yuca. But you're probably right. Yuca. I, I don't say know. Tomato, you say tomato, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, uh, before you go, since... We just got a notification about the timer for a Zoom call. I want you to talk about intermittent fasting a little bit more and how that's beneficial for perimenopausal and menopausal women, right? Yeah, and anyone. I mean, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not kind of um, just for that life stage. So I'm going to make this really simple. If you are feeding yourself the whole time from morning to night, your body is going to be focused on breaking down that food, absorbing that food, using that food, and eliminating that food. You're not giving your body any time to rest. So when you go into bed, 
you're still digesting rather mm. than resting. And when you wake up, you're just putting yourself through that whole process again. When you stop eating for a certain amount of time, now I'm very, very gentle. I'm not a big faster. I fast on average from 13 hours a day to 16 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Some might say there's no point in doing that. You need to do 16. You know, there's lots and lots and lots of personal opinions behind this. I'm a very gentle faster because that works for me. And I stop eating after dinner, which I have really early. So I have dinner at six, stop eating, and I won't eat the whole evening. Mm. And what that does is that takes all the food that I've eaten during the day and it recycles it. And with the recycling of the food, it recycles my cells so that I can have renewed cells and feel rejuvenated. So it gets rid of all that waste that was in there and starts recycling. And eventually we go into what's called autophagy, where the body starts eating itself. And that's when the cells renew and rejuvenate, takes out all the recycling and it clears the deck. Mm -hmm. That's fasting on its simplest terms. Yeah, I, I actually do the same thing and I didn't mean to do it. It's just kind of how my meals turn out to be. So I don't snack. I just have three meals a day, sometimes two, if I don't like have time to have lunch, but I'll eat two to three meals a day. And I usually have, depending on whenever I'm done with my work or whenever I get home in the evening, I usually eat dinner between six and eight. And then I don't have breakfast until after I go to the gym in the morning. So it turns out to be between 8.30 and 10, I would say, depending on the day. And that's about 13 to 16 hours, you know, depending on when I have breakfast and when I have dinner. And I didn't realize that I did that <laughs> until it, it got pointed out to me that I did it. And because I used to snack, I haven't always just had three meals a day. It's just easier for me right now. And it, it works for me now. But a few years ago, I used to snack. I'd have snack before lunch, snack before dinner, and then I'd snack a little bit after dinner. And I think I can look back and say that even looking at the energy aspect of things, I think I have a lot more energy now that I'm not eating as much. Because like you said, whenever you're always eating from morning to evening until you go to bed, your body is working, you know, working to digest your food and all of that. But whenever you're not constantly eating, then your body has time to rest. And I think that gives you more energy as well. Totally, totally. But again, this is multifactorial. And I want to just say that because uh, to give up my evening meal, it took, uh, my husband held me accountable. So for 21 days, I would leave a mark. We've got a blackboard in my kitchen. One of the walls is painted as a blackboard. And I committed to 21 days. And every day that I did that I was able to go an evening without eating because it's a really hard habit to break so every day I was able to go an evening without eating I would put a mark on the wall and he held me accountable and after 21 days of doing that it just became easy and now now it's just a habit now I just will start my fast and that's it yeah well, yeah, well, we are running out of time. So any oh, last messages? I know oh. I wish I wish we could keep talking. I need to upgrade my Zoom. I really do. But 
<laughs> Anyways, are there any last pieces of advice or a favorite quote that you'd like to share with the audience and then tell the audience where they can find you as well if they'd like to connect with you? Okay, so my favorite quote is this. It is better to do progress over perfection. So if you continue going in a squiggly line on an upward trajectory, that is better than standing still. So just be kind to yourself and go forward with grace. And if you want to find me, I am on Instagram at life underscore begins underscore at underscore menopause. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Mia. Please give Stephanie a round of applause. If you'd like to connect with her, then all of her information will be below in the show notes. And if you're interested in working with me or just getting more of my content, then you can head to miasmentorship.com. There you can explore my educational courses. You can also apply to work with me for one-on-one coaching. And for more free content like this, you can head to Instagram. My username is mias.mentorship. And then I also have a blog that comes out on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And as you probably know, the podcast comes out on Tuesdays and Fridays. Hope that all of y'all have a blessed day. Bye.